0: In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argo's podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts lose a 23-13 decision to the Ottawa Red Blacks. And JB and I are going to talk to you over the next little while about all the things that happened in the game, the good, the bad, you know, where things blew up. Uh, in the Argos' faces, break it down a little bit. But at the end of the day, these are the two biggest takeaways we have from this. Defensively, you can't miss tackles that would otherwise have gotten you off the field. And offensively, if the other team is going to stack the box to take away the run, then you need to be able to burn them in man coverage. And the Argos fell victim to that on defense and couldn't capitalize on the box stacking that Ottawa did offensively. And those are the reasons that the Argos lost the football game. JB, this wasn't out of nowhere. We could kind of see this coming, but we both predicted a win. You know what? What went wrong other than what I've already stated?
1: Yeah, it's it's you know we I was worried that it was a letdown game coming out of Saskatchewan, and they played like a letdown game. I thought they would be more energetic. They they came out flat. Uh, Ottawa came out as we expected, you know, desperately fighting to save their season and Toronto did not match them in intensity. But, you know, like any football game, you can point to three plays and those three plays decided the game. I think the touchdown at the end of the half was just an absolute killer. Um, If they don't score that touchdown, I think it's a totally different game. And then you know later in the game the shoe penalty and then the Ottawa touchdown was just an absolute killer so i think those two plays um, probably cheated toronto out of uh, a probably undeserved win but kind of a grind out home win so you know ottawa like ottawa did not come in and blow the doors off them i thought thought toronto played flat and and there were like three moments that tilted the game
0: Watching the game, it was pretty clear to me that Toronto is the more talented team, even even as banged up as they are, missing diverse Daniels, their number one receiver, Eric Rodgers, their number two, their best offensive lineman, their left tackle. Like they're they're so short guys, but they still look like they had a a bit of a talent mismatch. But they like you said, it, it was an energy thing and and they didn't have that today. They just They just weren't, they weren't on. And it was, it, it looked like that from the beginning that, yes, they had the Banks touchdown, but it just, it didn't look like a team that was fired up to play, uh, not to the same level that Ottawa came out. And, you know, that, that held to be true.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I mean, just to jump in, uh, I think the reality is, is they, they don't think about Ottawa. Uh, There isn't really any rivalry between these two franchises and there wasn't last year. And, you know, they just didn't have the hate in their heart that they did for Saskatchewan. And and sometimes it's hard to achieve that level of intensity um, when you don't have it, you know, depending on the football team you are. They're, they're not quite a team that can just take care of business um, like, a, you know, sort of an on switch. They're definitely a team that needs to get fired up. And I think Ottawa just was a bit of a boring a boring
0: opponent let's go through the game and uh, break it down as we go so first of all I I actually love the 5 o'clock start for some things I, I know it doesn't work well we'll see what the ratings are like Toronto has drawn fairly good TV numbers but they've been helped out by playing Saskatchewan twice Winnipeg once We'll see how this this game rates, but the great thing about the five o'clock start, there was amazing tailgating going on before the game, and I got there early enough to be able to just do a bit of socializing, walk through, and sample some cuisine. Uh, it was it was amazing. It was such a such a nice environment, and five o'clock is the perfect time of day because this is all going on sort of at you know two o'clock, three o'clock, uh, and you know everyone's got a chance to eat and you know have a few drinks. It's it doesn't feel weird because it's not like nine in the morning or anything like that. Um, so that was a really nice environment. It was a beautiful day for a game. If only the game could have lived up to what was happening pregame, because so that was it was just really cool uh, to have this sort of time of day for, especially on a, a weekend and a day that people, most people, don't have to get up for work tomorrow. It being a holiday, so that part of it was great. I'm all for the Sunday five o'clock starts when there is a Monday holiday the following day. Yeah, I'd I'd be happy with
1: you know if you ran from the beginning of the year until, you know, the end of August, if you ran Sunday every week at five o'clock.
0: Well, Sunday games need to be a part of the CFL schedule. Yeah. Well, at least, at least during the summer.
1: And then I think when the NFL comes on, I think you start to transition out of that. But, uh, you know, we, we've railed against this, you know, let's let's have some consistency, you know, like at least have, two different times, not like every week. You know, the argument is a Saturday. Anyways, you know, it. it's a real problem. They need to pick a date and they need to pick a time and try and build um, some consistency out of that. And I, I think 5 o'clock on Sunday all summer is a great idea.
0: There was a Chinook helicopter flyover, which I am a big fan of. I like flyovers anyway. You're, you're not a flyover guy, right? Uh, no, I like flyovers. Do you? Okay, I didn't. It didn't seem like your kind of thing. Uh, it's you know exciting and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, the Chinook, Flower is my favorite of all. Of them. I know it's not like fast moving, like when they you know throw a you know throw a CF eighteen over top or something. But uh, they're just such they're such cool vehicles. I thought that that was amazing. Uh, I could give you my
1: I could give you my air show rant, but I'll, I'll save that one for later in August.
0: Let's get uh, into the game here. So. Uh it, it was an interesting start because Ottawa seemed to throw a style of defense at the Argos that they weren't expecting. Now, I did ask McLeod after the game if he was caught off guard by that. And he says no. He expected they, they planned for what they saw. They just weren't able to capitalize, especially early. But that first drive, Ottawa had 11 of their 12 players lined up within seven yards of the line of scrimmage. And you could see just from the opening snap. You know, they're they're hell-bent on stopping the run. They are not going to let Andrew Harris run today. And if the Argos are going to beat them, it's going to have to be with someone else. That was clearly, from the first play, the first drive of the game, what Ottawa's like mission statement was. Uh, and that means a lot of man coverage. It means a lot of they, they ran a bunch of cover zero, they ran a bunch of cover one. They would play zones and back off a little bit in second and long. And there was one second and 15, I think. But Chiarga was actually converted where there was no pressure at all. But those opportunities were very rare. It was get everybody on the line of scrimmage in everyone's face. And you kind of talked about this in our pregame walkthrough episode about how if you were Ottawa, you would send a lot of heat and you know stop the run. And that's that's what they did. Yeah, you know, it seemed pretty clear that
1: you know Toronto wanted the run on first down, so you run blitz on one, and then you back off and and play you know deeper pass coverage on on second down. Um, it, it's a pretty straightforward response to to what Toronto has been doing, and I think largely Toronto did deal with it okay. I mean, if you look at the total yards in the air, the the issue is again the red zone. And getting the ball into the end zone, um, you know, that, that kind of reared its ugly head. I, you know, I thought they did pass the ball when they couldn't run um, decently. You know, if those guys catch the ball in the fourth quarter, you know, again, there's three or four plays that changed this game. Even though it looks like they were beaten, you know, four
0: plays changed this game to a Toronto win. If you are unable to run then you've got to hit big plays like that's you just can't like it when the when the opponent knows that you can't run the ball at all and Toronto with 33 rushing yards all game Harris really couldn't get going at all then you've got to have those big plays you've got to take advantage like I said off, off the top you you've got to have those deep touchdowns more of the plays that we saw to to Speedy B um, that, that's got to happen several times a game and, and they you know they miss their opportunities throughout um, because you can't consistently, it's so hard to be able to just move the ball down the field 10, 15 yards at a time. In three-down football, you just don't have that, you don't have that kind of luxury. And especially if you get a penalty here and there, which uh, they also did, then, you know, there's there's no hope for you. So at the end of the day, McLeod Bethel-Thompson had a pretty good statistical day. Threw for 340 yards, no interceptions, and yet it, that's not enough because when you have no run game supporting it, those 340 yards divided up over the course of the game, there's just too many breaks in there, too many two straight incompletions in there where you, you're just going to have punts on almost every drive. Uh, and that's what they had aside from the couple of field goals.
1: Yeah, they missed Daniels too, obviously, tonight. Um, that, you know, that he is, you know, a downfield weapon. I agree with you, though. More deep shots were needed the way they did against Saskatchewan. But the with the offensive line I, there was not on many downs a ton of time for late long developing pass routes
0: and something coach Jim addressed after the game but didn't want to use as an excuse and McLeod Bethel Thompson wouldn't even hear of it as an excuse but uh, AJ Richardson was supposed to be dressed today he was going to be the starter this week as the number two to the boundary and he ended up uh, getting banged up uh, the last practice of the week, you know, right at the end, uh, doing some some red zone drills. And instead, they had to move Phillips to that spot and then bring Tommy Neal in. And so you've, you've now got Phillips playing a spot that he's not really familiar with. I actually like him there. I think he, he belongs in that spot, although not now with Rodgers potentially coming back. Um, but it just meant all these moving pieces and all the plays you practice all week long. Suddenly there are different guys running them. And Tommy Neal hasn't been out there really at all this year. Brissette was a game time decision. He ended up not playing. And so, yeah, it was, they were sort of all over the place, but uh, the Arrows didn't want to put excuses out there. I will put them out there though. That's really tough when you've got guys lining up in different spots and and there's going to be chemistry issues. Uh, You know, forget about not having Daniels on the field. Like that's a huge deal in itself, but the guy that replaced Daniels wasn't even expecting to play that spot all week. So in that first quarter, the, the Argos defense, uh, their first possession, they, they had a bust which it was really the only way Ottawa was able to get down the field consistently today. Caleb Evans had a great game, but seeing that bust early was a little bit sickening because we saw that early in the season. And then the last few games, they've been able to sort of iron those problems out, those communication issues out. Ackland had a 45-yard uh, pass reception where he ended up catching it in the flats and there was no flats defender to be seen. Both McFadden and Amos dropped out. I don't know who's responsibility that was. I couldn't tell uh, watching it live, but they both dropped um, into deep responsibility. Nobody uh, was anywhere near Ackland when he caught the ball. He was able to make McFadden miss and ran for that long game uh, again. And uh, this would come up a few times today. This is the first time in a few weeks where we've seen multiple busts in the secondary. And I, I don't know the reason for that, but they had tightened it up previously and now it's back to the drawing board. Yeah the
1: the secondary had their worst game since BC um they just did not have the same fly to feel that that they had the last couple of games um the you know i it was they weren't yeah they just they just didn't seem to have a, a the play calling just didn't have a sense of what Ottawa was doing it just felt like we were we were not in the right defense and and ottawa kind of picked us apart and ottawa was still able to move the ball down the field in big chunks you know which is what they like to do and we were not able to take away the big chunk play which is what caleb evans lives on you have to force him to to nickel and dime you and and they just did not get that done today
0: the Argos really didn't get any breaks today either. Even going back to, like, there was a play in the first quarter. Uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson seemed to complete a pass. I think it was to Curly Gittens Jr. Ottawa challenged it, and it ended up getting overturned. There were two things that went wrong there for the Argos. So first of all, it went from being what would have been like a, a first in, in goal or close to a first and goal situation. Instead, uh, they ended up having to kick that first field goal. But... On top of that, the play that they had sent in before La Police threw out the challenge flag was gonna be an end around to Curly Gittens Jr. And remember we talked about how centered the Ottawa defense was on Andrew Harris. That end around to Gittins Jr. was gone. It was blown dead basically right as the ball was snapped and Gittens Jr. was getting the ball uh, in motion and there was nobody, there was nobody left. He would've run that ball into the end zone for a touchdown but the the play was correct. You know, it should have been overturned. It wasn't a catch. It, it just seemed like really bad luck on the on the Argos part of all the times. And they did go back to that Gittins end around. It ran for nine yards the second time, but it, you know, it it was gone that first time. That was a touchdown. So just you know, one of those games where you're not getting the breaks, and that's not what this game is about. Toronto didn't play well enough to win, but a break or two could have been the difference in this one.
1: Well, it reminds me of toward the end of the game and the TV broadcast didn't go back to it but I thought there was an, an amazingly quick whistle on that Ottawa uh, re- uh, kick return at the end of the game where it looked like the Argos came down and stripped the ball uh, and I, I didn't really understand why the whistle was blown uh, like Ford progress was blown so quickly um, you know. so I, I thought that they got a little bit hosed on that play
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a rough one too. But again, it's just, it's about breaks. Like some games that's not called. Go back to the Dane Evans fumble that cost them a win against Calgary. That was a quarterback sneak that seemed to last like eight seconds before there was a whistle and uh, and the ball was stripped. And today it's like, uh, you know, as soon as he got partially wrapped up, it's like, oh, whistle, he's surrounded. Um, You know, again, it's, it's not about that. It's not any one play, but not getting breaks when you're not playing well. Uh, it's just it's going to lead to a loss. So uh, it's six three for Ottawa at the the end of the first uh, all field goal game. Not quite the exciting game that we saw last night from from Winnipeg and Calgary, where it seemed like every single drive was a touchdown. This one uh, finished the way it started with you know field goals and teams having trouble moving the ball. The second quarter was a little bit better though. So. With with Ottawa selling out to to stop the to stop the run, uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson was able to finally take advantage of it. He ended up finding banks on a it, it was sort of a hitch and go fade uh, that they ran from. I think it was twenty nine yards out, uh, but the the hitch part didn't sell like the DB actually didn't bite on the hitch part it was just that Banks had such nice separation he gets back up to speed so quickly McLeod threw a perfect ball and in a place where only Banks could catch it he ends up catching a touchdown Uh, Argos are up 10-6 at that point and it seemed like that might be enough to to get them going but it it just it wasn't that was that was almost the end of things at that point yeah the kick Return right after that,
1: I think, speaks to how the Argos just did not have their A game. The kick return unit has been very good for the Argos, but then they allowed a huge return on that. uh, Maybe not huge, but a pretty sizable return on the kickoff after that touchdown. And that kind of stuff is just deadly. You know, you're trying to put an opponent in the grave and to just give them more hope. Um, it was just that kind of night for Toronto. They just did not execute at at a high enough
0: level to take care of business. And would you have gone away from the running game? Because they? it's not like they sat on the running game in the second half, but in the first half, there was nothing at all. Clearly, the game plan is, is to take away Harris. Do you call that a little bit differently? Because I was thinking, like, I don't know if I would have Seeing how stacked the box was, for me, I, I go away from it. I do I do misdirection, I play fake, I play action to Harris, but I probably don't run enough, and yet he still had a couple of runs that whether well, it was one that went for six, one that went for eight, but then there were minuses in there as well. I, I feel like Andrew Harris kind of makes you play call very differently than you might otherwise because he can take over a game on the ground. You know, you don't see typically teams in the CFL with a running back who has 25 or more carries. And yet we've seen that multiple times this year. And you see a play like that where they completely stack the box. He still runs it for eight yards anyway. It's really hard to give up on calling run plays, even though that's probably not the right thing to do.
1: No, you you should give up on it when it's that drastic. Uh, I agree. You don't want to give up on the run too early, but, you know, they were not getting any push at all. I mean, he ran for 17 yards for the game. I think when, when it's so drastically being stopped, you do have to just simply stop wasting downs. You were just wasting downs. You might as well take a knee.
0: You know, it did seem like there were a lot of second and nine, second and ten. Yeah, in this game. Yeah, you're
1: just wasting it down. I get it. Harris is a big part, and he would probably go bananas at at being put to the side. But I think from a coaching point of view, that was not a let's keep sticking with this. It'll happen. It was like, no, this is not going to happen. They've spent an entire half shoving it down our throat. We do not have our starting O-line. We we just have to give Harris the rest of the night off, you know, other than the occasional pass, um, because it's just not there. And and to be honest, that's not the end of the world in terms of keeping that guy healthy.
0: I was kind of disappointed that they went away from some of the things that were working in the second quarter. Like they sort of found some success in those quick passes to Gittins, those, those quick receiver screens. Uh, out wide because the DBs had started backing off just a little bit since there wasn't really help over top. They're playing man. They're playing, um, you know, man to the field side, especially knowing they've got no help at all. And so they were giving a bit of ground and the Argos found success there, but they didn't really go back to those plays in the second half. And I I thought that was kind of weird. They also, they also went empty a couple times in the second quarter and it worked. Like having Harris out there as a sixth receiver, which we had talked about in the lead up to this game, because I thought that might be a nice strategy to go six wide. My theory was to help out the offensive line. That that wasn't what they seem to be using it for today. But it, it's just another way to get Harris the ball. So put Harris out as receiver, throw him some quick screens, and and we didn't really get that. And they didn't go back to to empty in the second half. So I, I thought that might have been a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean it, it was. I, I you know I still think the game boils down to really three things: is that. Um, you can't give up that touchdown at the end of the first half. You can't take that penalty for throwing a shoe. And those receivers have to catch the ball in the fourth quarter.
0: Let's talk about that drive at the end of the first half. So BD kicks a field goal to make it 13-6. The Argos feel like they're in control, even though they're not playing well. It just didn't feel like Ottawa was going to be able to move the ball enough against Toronto's defense uh, at, at that stage. And... They, they, Ottawa used a very, what turned out to be a really good timeout. I was actually thinking as Ottawa called it, there were like 40 something seconds left in the half. And it was as Beattie was lining up for his field goal that would make it 13-6. Ottawa called a timeout to not let the Argos drain any more time. And I was thinking, you know, hey, you're going to want to hang on to your timeouts. I don't know if I would have, I would have used one there because they just hadn't been able to get anything going. It didn't seem like it didn't seem like Ottawa was going to be able to put a drive together with like 40 seconds to go, but it turned out to be a beautiful timeout call for LaPolice because they turned it not just into points, but into a touchdown. And that play, I, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was a bust or if it was just uh, defenders having to make a decision because Caleb Evans escaped the pocket. Bought himself some time, and Jalen Ackland was able to work himself free. Ended up being wide open in the end zone for a deep play, and that was just such a that was such a crushing way to end the half, especially knowing that Ottawa was getting the ball to start uh, the third quarter. Yeah, it it was really what was wrong with the team tonight. Um, they had a fantastic
1: drive; they're moving the ball down the field, you know, eight yards, ten yards, eight yards, ten yards, and then they got stalled. And what should have been a touchdown drive turned into a field goal drive so right there you know if you're trying to bury a team you gotta you have to score a touchdown on that drive and then with that much time left let Ottawa get the field goal like what you know what are you worried about you should to me you have to have the end zone filled with defenders you have to have cover three cover four you know deep guys because you know that's what they want to do. That's what Evans wants to do. He wants to throw the ball forty yards. Uh, you know, I I just don't leave yourself open to a bust there. Um, you know, whether the cornerback thought he was coming up to support if Evans was running or, or what he was thinking, but he let the leading receiver for Ottawa go stand in the end zone by himself. So I I think you have to call a defense that that does not allow for a bust with. Fifty seconds left in the half. I mean, I I didn't understand, I didn't understand what they were protecting. Like let let them throw it underneath and kick a field goal. Like you just can't give them a touchdown there. You absolutely gave them
0: life instead of um, finishing the game. It, it changed the game. And the Argos couldn't do anything offensively in the second half. Ottawa came out to start the third quarter with another great drive. Uh, the Argos were this was the only time in the game where the Argos got a little bit lucky. That could have been a touchdown. That first drive of the third quarter, Evans, you know, drove the the team down really nicely. But there was a play on first down where Evans had a receiver wide open in the middle of the field. That he could have walked into the end zone. He didn't see it. He ended up throwing to the back corner, uh, overthrowing his receiver. Um, they ended up kicking a field goal a couple plays later, but it was still a really nice drive from from Caleb Evans, a nice drive from Ottawa, but it was 16-13 instead of a 20-13, which it really should have been. And then the way Toronto responded uh, to that drive, uh, McLeod hits, uh, hits Giddens for a really nice gain to start the... To start the third quarter, they hadn't been on the field forever because Ottawa had had back-to-back drives on either side of halftime. But then Andrew Harris had a rare fumble. And at this point, he now had 15 yards on eight carries. The fumble as well, that that had to have been when Coach Dinwiddie decided, well, that's it, because he only had one more carry called for for Andrew Harris the rest of the game. Um, they they just, yeah, they, they could not run the football.
1: Yeah that fumble was also a killer. You know, they had just converted that first down um that you know that was just a you know that was really a uh, one of those moments that uh, that you know just killed any momentum the offense was able to put together.
0: One of the bright spots in this game wasn't really related to the game itself but there was there was an achievement uh award here for for McLeod Bethel Thompson and again it's unfortunate the Argos couldn't have come out on top because it would have been nice to talk more about this post game with him he wasn't really in the mood for talking about personal milestones and I get that but he threw for over 10,000 yards today and moved into fifth all time in Argos history for passing yards which is pretty incredible to think like people don't think about him having been in Toronto that long uh because of the lost season he he first his first Past thrown was in 2018, I think, for the Argos. And he's now behind only legends, Hall of Famers. He's behind Doug Flutie, Damon Allen, Conridge Holloway, and Ricky Ray. And then McLeod, Bethel Thompson. I think people are pretty shocked by that. This team that's been around for 148 years, and McLeod, Bethel Thompson has passed for the fifth most yards of every quarterback the Argos have had. So uh, that milestone came a I think I think that came in the third quarter. He passed the ten thousand yard mark. I think in the second quarter, and I think he he moved into fifth all time in the third quarter. Um, and you know, there's a, a nice little thing on the on the display board. The fans are really happy. But it uh, for him personally, but it just didn't feel like you know that he that was that was enough. It didn't feel like this was going to be enough for them at, at that point. Already, fans were getting nervous, even though it was just uh, you know sixteen thirteen to end the the quarter. Toronto was just missing on so many different things. They just missed on sacks. They just missed on tackles on second and long. They just missed interceptions that were, you know, inches away. And they just missed completions offensively. There were a few balls that could have been huge plays, and they were just, you know, a foot too far. And it it just, it it was a game where nothing was was going right. And heading to the fourth quarter, they're down 16-13. And it kind of felt like this wasn't going to end well
1: no i mean you know from jager davis wiping out uh, a, an argo tackler um on 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 a play it just was
0: a cursed evening yeah they and that continued into the fourth quarter they could not put a drive together they continued to miss tackles and then finally in this sort of crucial moment where it looked like the argos were going to get off the field uh with i think there was about 6 minutes left in the in the fourth quarter at that point uh second down play is unsuccessful for Ottawa. And then we have the objectionable conduct penalty from McManus uh to give Ottawa a first down and goal. Um, and then just after that, uh Evans finds Bihar uh for for a touchdown. Edwards gets a penalty on that play, and then gets another penalty on the on the ensuing uh, point after. Um and that led to a kind of a weird series because it, they weren't back-to-back OCs and so he didn't get thrown out of the game. But I think he thought he was thrown out of the game because he, after that penalty, he ran off the field. They called him off and replaced him with Priester and uh, he thought he was kicked out of the game. So he actually ran off the field and the Argos had to send a staff member sprinting after him all the way around the field to the Argos locker room to bring him back because he hadn't been disqualified from the game. It was just such a weird sequence in a weird day for that defense, but really falling apart like that. I know it was late and you know maybe the game was already decided by that point, but it just felt like Maybe if they could have had a, a break there. Maybe if that's a field goal, they're down six now. They can drive for a winning touchdown instead of being down ten at that point. It's it's a pretty different ball game, even with the the lack of offense that there was from the Argos.
1: Yeah, you look. Whit McManus has gotten plenty of flowers from me, but you can't throw that guy's shoe. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, that is just an absolutely killer penalty for a captain to be taking. He. In my mind, he cost them the game. The game was over when they scored that touchdown. And they scored that touchdown because McManus threw the shoe. You know, they just can't have that.
0: For me, that's not the game. But obviously, you can't. I agree with you. You can't have that. You can't have leaders on your defense uh, taking penalties like this. Edwards as well. Like I, I don't feel like. Uh, you can lose your cool like that at that stage. But to me, the the defense isn't the reason the Argos lost today. You can't expect to score 13 points as an offense and win the game. And so for me, it stops right there. No matter what the defense does, if the offense has 13 points, no points in the second half, I, I don't think you can really pin anything on the defense at that point. But yeah, it was it was such a... It was such a was such an upsetting turn of events and then uh, and, and then the the way this game sort of ends with Toronto getting you know one last shot to maybe put something together, you're hoping for that huge punt return from banks and ends up being a 12 yard loss uh, and that was when people started to leave the stadium.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know he I mean I know he was trying to to help he, he isn't the player that he was. You know he's an older guy now, so that was probably, um, you know, a bit optimistic to think that he could reverse field at his age. Um, but I appreciate that he was trying to, to, to help. I, I don't, I don't really mind that. You know, mine is the drops. The drops killed them. Um, Amble's had a big drop. KGJ had a big drop, and Banks reached out for a pass with one hand instead of two. Um, all of those plays change the game if they're caught. If they're driving for a winning touchdown, not the first of two scores. That's where I feel the shoe, you know, cost them the game. I think it's a different it's a different vibe in the stadium if they're driving for the winning touchdown instead of, you know, a likely impossible
0: double score. Coach Dinwiddie was pretty animated after the game he was he was upset with the team it was pretty clear and I I wonder if this is a point where he's lost his patience enough that changes are going to be made personnel wise he didn't say they would but he did allude to that you know maybe being a possibility maybe these are discussions that need to happen and this is not the first time we've heard him mention this do you think we start to see personnel changes based on this result Uh, well it's a very interesting dynamic when
1: you have a coach and a player or players, uh, that as a head office has to be a moment where you have to decide who do you want more? You know, is, are we all in on this coach? And if he feels this player is a poison, then we're going to get that player out of town. Um, or is the coach wrong and the coach has to go because the player is really talented? Um, I point to an Odell Beckham Jr. as an NFL example. Uh, you know I think that that's a really tough decision for a front office to make as to who are you backing you know if we trade somebody talented because he is oil and water with coach that's that's a big question so uh, yeah i'm I'm curious to see it'll it'll certainly speak to to their commitment to Dinwiddie. Um, if they trade somebody out of town who who has
0: a lot of talent, I would just be really wary of that. I think I would go. I think I would side with Dinwiddie on this. I think he's uh, proven himself as as a good head coach. I think he's he's the guy that you've invested time in and you've seen him put together this program. Don't forget, like 2019, this team could not buy a close game, let alone a win. And he came in as a rookie head coach, led them to the best record in the East, to the Eastern Final, and this year again, like even as as we talk now, this is like a, a first place Argos team. I know they've had struggles, but they came the closest that anyone has to beating Winnipeg all season. They had back to back wins against Saskatchewan. I know one of those has a bit of an asterisk next to it, but this is this is a a good team that he has put together and i think if you don't put trust in him at this point then then what are you doing and so so for me i think the management has to listen to what he wants to do i think that that's they've already sort of decided that uh in my mind yeah look if he wants chris edwards out of town i
1: think that is a very risky proposition i'm not saying it's not going to work but then you are all in and you better hope that you know the ball lands on uh, on your roulette square because that um that could go a variety of ways um from a team perspective so yeah it's interesting you know it, it isn't boring he's clearly and I don't know if it's chris edwards but he's clearly angry at at guys on the team and edwards has been not very um controllable on the field so uh, I'm yeah I'm curious to see um what happens this week and and whether they're able to kind of get back into uh get back into winning mode yeah, you know tonight wasn't bad it was just really boring they
0: you know honestly they look like the 2018 argos the yeah they they weren't very exciting at all um and just to for, further on what you said I don't know who coach is talking about either. And I I guess it could be anybody in theory. Um, I get why it would be Edwards based on what you talked about and those back to back penalties and and everything else. But I haven't ever heard coach say anything negative about Chris Edwards. And so um, I think that would be jumping to conclusions if we thought that it was him that was causing issues. And he also hasn't, he's only been with the team now active for for what three games so I don't know where the problems exactly are coming from but he does seem to be frustrated with an attitude from somewhere wherever it is on the team and maybe we will see this week if moves are made then I think you have to assume well I guess that I guess that guy was was causing some issues and they may be in a position where they can make some moves because this is their sixth game, and you've now got guys that are eligible to come back from the six-game injured list. Some that we expect to return, some that we don't. I, I don't expect Peter Nicastro to come back. He's eligible to. I haven't got the sense that he's anywhere close to being able to return. I do, however, think we're going to see Eric Rogers and Juwan Breskison come back. I think we're going to see Jack Kassar come back. There are going to be guys that are going to make a difference, uh, but I don't know I don't know what that's going to mean move-wise. It does put you in a position, though, where you can make some moves. Maybe you can make moves at receiver. If you've got Breskison, Rodgers coming back, you've got Daniels, who is hopefully healthy and ready to go next week. Now you've got this huge surplus of receiver talent. So maybe a move is made. Now, offensive line-wise, this is what we were thinking coming into the game. I still think they need to make a move for a tackle. But Philip Blake actually played really well. I haven't graded the game. You can't really do that live. But I was trying to keep track of uh, hurries, knockdowns, sacks, pressures that Philip Blake was allowing, and he had a really clean sheet. He did allow a couple of a couple of pressures. He allowed a knockdown and a hit, but I thought it was actually the best. Left tackle play the Argos have had all year, which is maybe saying something because he's not a tackle. Uh, but that's just in pass protection. I I didn't really uh, pay close attention to him as a run blocker, but in pass protection, Philip Blake looked really good. But I want to go back and look at the film and really see where some of those breakdowns were. Otherwise, but I still think they they need to bring in a tackle unless they're positive that Isaiah Cage is coming back soon. And I just don't think you can be so. Um, I, I think if you're going to make a move, you're looking to send somebody out of value potentially to bring back a tackle that can play and start.
1: I thought the kid, the Atlantic or Atlantic rookie, uh, I thought he did OK um, out there. You know, there, there were some moments where where he got blown by um, and there were some, you know, a, wasn't perfect. But he wasn't a turnstile. I I didn't feel like he was a hole in the boat. And for a rookie coming out of Canadian University ball, I think that
0: that bodes really well. Especially a guy that really didn't play guard in university too. I I thought he had a very promising game. And again, I want to see the film on this, but I saw him quite a lot because he's standing right next to Philip Blake, who's the guy that I was watching the most. And yeah, like you said, there, there were some mistakes and there were some times where... Uh, he wasn't really able to sort of set the shelf and he gave up a lot of ground uh, in his pass protection. That's going to have to... He's going to have to anchor a little bit better going forward, but... Uh, yeah, it wasn't like they were running right by him on every play. Um, I, I didn't think he had as good a game as as Blake did. No, but he's a rookie and Blake is is a veteran who's been around for a long time. He's Blake's your your most decorated offensive lineman. So they have to be happy I think they
1: have to be really happy with how we looked. i mean if 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 that's the starting point, um you know, offensive line is by far the hardest position to come in as a rookie. Um, so you know i i think that that has to be a definitely a positive to take away from the game is is that they found a nice one in that draft
0: yeah for sure and it, that that's another area in which they are pretty rich because you've got your you know, quote unquote starting guards in Blake who's now a tackle and Bladek. but then you've also got McKeller who can clearly play we know that Lawrence, who's played really... Actually, you know, he had a, a good game at center today. We didn't have any missed snaps. And I do want to say, uh, I should mention, he was one of the first players out on the field today getting in extra snaps with Bethel Thompson. He was out there in during a time where quarterbacks typically work on some timing with receivers. He was out there as the center for that, just getting in extra snaps. And, and we didn't see any... Uh, snap issues from him today, but he's also a really good guard. If Nicastro is going to come back and play center, and then you've got Churchill Richards, this is suddenly a position where is, do we see a move there? Does does one of these guards get get sent somewhere for tackle help? I, it's not going to be a one for one, probably uh, of equal value, but it is a surplus. Um, you know, guard and and receiver the Argos have in spades. JB, let's get to our plays of the game and our players of the game. So, <laughs> uh offensive play of the game is is pretty pretty thin. Uh I I've got one play that comes to mind, uh probably the same play as you. I'm thinking that Banks touchdown.
1: Yeah, that yeah, I I thought there were a couple of really nice throws um that Macbeth made. Uh, I thought that that seam throw in the second half was nice. There was one where he threw it over the linebacker but in front of the safety, you know, I thought he he had a couple of gorgeous, like professional throws tonight. But the 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 fade touchdown was the play of the game for sure. Great call, great read, great execution. Should have been that all night.
0: Yeah, it was it was a beautiful throw. It was a perfect throw, and it was a gorgeous catch. And yeah, it was one of the few things that went right. But you're right. Like McLeod again had a, a decent day. It's just you wish. You could go back in time and, and have him not miss a couple of those wide open throws. But he made the hard ones. Like you said, he was able to, especially when they were playing zone, he ripped apart Ottawa's zone. He struggled a bit more against man coverage with the exception of that that deep ball to Banks. But, uh, you know, he had some, some beautiful reads and throws today. He just uh, couldn't string enough of them together. Defensive play of the game. Uh, where are you going for the defensive play of the game? Um... Again,
1: there weren't a lot of standout moments. I think the moment that you know that I, I, I love the most was uh, Oakman fully embracing his CN power and picking up the Ottawa Center like a small child and carrying him backwards into the quarterback um, for, for the sack. I thought that that was just unbelievable, just um, incredible. And you know, I wish that it had uh resulted in, in a turnover. Um, I, I loved um the Shane Ray sack uh fumble as well. You know, I thought, I thought the D line flashed with some really great moments. Um, uh, but that would be my defensive play for sure, as Oakman uh just manhandling the center.
0: It's incredible that none of those quarterback hits turned into turnovers, and that was something that was another difference in the game where if maybe one of those turns into... Because, again, you're talking about a quarterback fumble. like Often those turn into uh, scooping scores or at least uh, runs that that put you in scoring position. And the number of times that there were blindside hits on Evans, who was unaware of the pressure coming from there. Ray had a couple. One where he actually did cause a fumble, but it bounced right back up to Evans. He was able to recover it. Um, But, yeah, if one of those ends up bouncing around for a bit, somebody scoops it up, Uh, This is a very different game. But yeah, there were way more defensive plays to choose from. Mine, I'm going to go with what was, at the time, seemed like a really big deal, is back in the first quarter, uh, Jamal Peters made a huge play. So Ottawa had the ball at Toronto's 24. It's a second down. There's a run play, I think it was to Bennett, And the backfield action that they had, the receiver motioning that they had triggered a corner blitz from Peters. And he came at 100 miles an hour, came all the way around. It was a run play to the offensive right. He came from the offensive left side all the way around, tackled Bennett for a loss and forced Ottawa to kick a field goal in that situation. At at that time, instead of... Ottawa potentially going up ten to three. It just put them up six to three. I was thinking at that moment like this this could end up being the play of the game. Now it turns out it, for me it did end up being the defensive play of the game only because there just weren't too many highlights after that. But yeah, that was that was a big play. It was a nice play from Jamal Peters, really instinctively reacting, and you got to see his speed. And man, I love corner blitzes. So uh, yeah, that's the play of the game for me. Where are you going for your player of the game? Um.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm, you know, a little behind the scenes. I'm not a big fan of player of the game in a loss, um, but I think that for me, God, I want to give it to Gittins Jr. I thought he had such a great first half, um, but that drop just just crushed it for me. Um, I I guess I would give player of the game to Macbeth you know, I thought he was good. I thought he had a good night. You know, I thought he made plays and he didn't get a lot of help.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think without the drops, he's close to 70% completions. He did throw for 340 yards. There was one play he threw that could have been picked, but it wasn't, you know, it was, that was more of a mishandle by the receiver again. It bounced up in the air. It probably wasn't a great idea to throw to him, but it wasn't a night with a lot of mistakes for Bethel Thompson. And anytime you end up with 340 yards passing and no interceptions, and you've got no support at all from your run game, that's that's a good night. So I, I will give it to Curly Gittins Jr., but I completely... Macbeth is my runner-up uh, in this game. Gittins Jr. ended up with six catches on eight targets, 84 yards. He also was being used as a returner today. He ended up with, with three returns for 45 yards uh, on kickoff returns because they were... Uh, short some of the returners that they've had in in recent games with Brissett being out, Isaiah Wright not dressing Um, and so sort of his show they had him and and Tommy Neal was was back there returning as well so uh, that was just yeah it just kind of showed how upside down everything was for today's game. I
1: thought you know what and shout out Tommy Neal I thought he
0: had a decent game I thought he looked pretty good yeah, he did. He, You know, he's a good player. Tommy Neal, he's not going to put together huge highlight reels. That's just not the type of player he is, but he's a smart football player. He works really hard. He does everything right. He just doesn't really make mistakes. He reminds me of a, a Winnipeg player. I think there's, you know, it just seems like that kind of guy that's not necessarily going to be highlight reel material, but somehow gets the job done week in, week out. Um, and yeah, we saw Neil look good. He feels
1: like a guy who's going to end up at the Blue Bombers next year and average 80 yards a game. <laughs> that's,
0: yeah. that's what he feels. Hopefully, like. hopefully not uh, for for our sake. But yeah, he's and he's a great special teams player too. So uh, guys like that, uh, we he you know did uh, some more work towards making him. Uh, invaluable today because he, he's a guy that you feel like the Argos just can't do without. So, um, you know, good for him having a really solid effort. And, and it wasn't something that necessarily uh, flew off the stat sheet. Uh, you know, he ended up with just three catches for 50 yards, but 50 yards is 50 yards. And he had some really nice blocks in there too, ran some good routes. He was open uh, a bunch of times, uh, but they were, you know, they were going other ways. Um, they had other, other, other plans, other thoughts on those. So yeah, Tommy Neal definitely deserves a shout out. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Hamilton week coming up, so we will have a lot to break down as we turn our attention there. Talking to McLeod Bethel-Thompson after the game, it was interesting. Someone asked him about uh, Hamilton and what... Uh, you know what sort of uh, threats they pose defensively and he answered very honestly he's like you know i haven't watched any hamilton film to this point which i think is correct like i don't want him watching weeks in advance that's the right thing you just don't often hear players say that but that is the correct response he shouldn't have been watching hamilton film to this point but he said yeah tonight i'm gonna dive into it i'll start start looking it up, see what they're doing. And the nice thing about heading into this this series that we've now got, these uh, divisional games, uh, one after another after another, starting with Hamilton, is that the Argos were a little bit humbled today. And that's something that came up in the post-game press conferences today. Uh, Coach Dan suggesting that, you know, maybe the team needed that a little bit. Shane Ray echoed that sentiment as well, saying, you know, you, you can't really be anything but humble at this point he's like we haven't deserved we haven't earned anything else and so hopefully this loss uh you know gets gets them together uh, and they come out the way that they came out in halifax a few weeks ago for jb this has been grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones i'll see (laughs) you